always got taught you never carry your social security card around, but she had it in her purse. Shows everybody the last four of her social security number. That night gets full of the Holy Spirit, had been praying for years for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God rocked her life to this day. She's serving God because that one encounter that she had. The point of it was, why would God show me that? He showed me it because he wanted to fill this girl with the Holy Spirit. And it was proof to her that God knew her. God acknowledged her. I remember another time in Arizona, the Lord showed me someone that lived on Cherry Lane. And I'm like, I said it publicly. It's on my Instagram from years ago. If you want to guys want to go search and find it. It was a guy sitting in the very, very back row, complete atheist. His friend brought him literally when I say last row, last row of a church that seats probably 1500 who lived on Cherry Lane. Now I was freaked out. I'm like, this is not God. Like, I'm going to get this wrong. And literally, bro, there's three houses on Cherry Lane. And this guy lived on one of in those one of those houses his friend invited him to the meeting he literally said i was an atheist i didn't believe in god he was crying while we were praying for him this is all on video and on my instagram and god brought me stopped the meeting in the middle of service told me someone in here i want to touch that lives on cherry lane i walked to the back of the room this guy was an atheist and i told him face to face i said you will never be able to doubt god again god stopped a 1500 person service in the middle of my sermon to come talk to you. So that's a word of knowledge. I would have never known that girl's social security. I would have never known his street address, but God gave a word of knowledge so that he was able to touch the guy. So John 148, Jesus told Nathaniel before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So Jesus didn't see him in the natural. He got a revelation by the spirit. Um, John 415, Jesus had a word of knowledge for the woman at the well. Acts chapter five, Peter had a word of knowledge concerning Ananias and Sapphira not being truthful. They said, we didn't lie. And he said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. How did Peter know they lied to the Holy Spirit? God gave Peter a word of knowledge. So word of knowledge is supernatural information you would have otherwise not known. And then one thing I want to say, and then I'll toss it to you with the word of knowledge, is usually, I I wouldn't say this is 100% of the time for me, but God will give words of knowledge for sickness or pain in the body. And it's usually because God wants to act on that. God wants to heal that person. And the word of knowledge produces faith to produce the miracle. So you might say there's someone in this room that has this or you're example, you're out in the mall praying for someone, or you're out in the grocery store and you get a word of knowledge as you're praying for the person, the Lord reveals to you, maybe their husband's name, maybe an issue they're going through. And you say, are you going through this? And they say, how did you know that? And then God becomes real to them. And Paul talks about this, how sinners fall because we disclose their information. And then God reveals to you. And then they end up getting saved or they get rocked or God touches them. I've also seen that happen, but I want to say this last thing, TJ, when I get words of knowledge, guys, you have to understand these words of knowledge are not like all of a sudden I hear a voice telling me it's an overwhelming feeling I have. That's how it works for me. For me, for you, it could be completely different for me. Sometimes I'll either get a pain in my body where their word of knowledge is or whatever they pain they have, or I'll get an overwhelming feeling, like whether it's a marriage issue, whether it's a sickness. And then I'm like, look, I got to step out and tell you, I, I feel like it's just me. And I'll be honest with you guys. Sometimes I'm like, that's just my thought. But then God's like, no, it's a word of knowledge. Step out. So if you get random thoughts while praying for someone, that's not, you feel like, why would I think that? That's probably a word of knowledge. So don't doubt God. And then the worst thing you can do is think it's going to be like this loud shout from heaven. Cause if you think that you're never going to get a word, recognize God is speaking. Cause God doesn't usually speak in yelling. He usually is a still small voice in your mind so or in your head so if you just hear a voice in your head real small while you're praying for someone step out and listen i'm going to give you all permission to mess up because when you're flowing in the gifts you will make mistakes and the worst thing that can happen is you say hey is this word of knowledge true and they say oh no who cares at least you stepped out listen i would rather be sinking in the waves than sitting safe in the boat like just step out and walk on water and god will meet you so um you want to touch on that word of knowledge 
Yeah, the word of knowledge is actually one of my favorite uh, because this one stimulates faith in people unlike yes. anything else. Because it shows people that God is intimately acquainted with all of their ways. That God knows the number of hairs on your head. This is like one, I find one of the greatest demonstrations of God's love and manifestations of God's love. Because it shows you that he's not just some distant far being somewhere in heaven that has no care or concern for you. That he knows what you're going through. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows your struggle. He knows exactly what you've been, what you've been through. And so, you know, Jesus gets to the woman at the well in John 4 and he starts to tell her you have five husbands and the one you're now with is not your husband and that you said truly what did she do I sir I perceive you're a prophet it it generated wow. faith in her to believe that that was the coming one that Jesus was the Messiah and then it turned her into an evangelist she went like a crazy evangelist back to her town and told everybody about Jesus because of that one nugget the word of knowledge deals with it's a fragment of knowledge that God gives. It's not something that you have received from the five senses. So it's not something you've heard. It's not something you can look at somebody and you, like you're reading people well. That's not what the word of knowledge is. It's not like you, you know, you smelt the person, uh, cigarette on their mouth and you say, I, I believe that you're, you've been smoking cigarette. That's not the word of knowledge. That's, you're actually manipulating a gift and, and it's not good to do that. The word of knowledge is some is a piece of information that could not be received outside of God. Something mm. nobody knows. Elisha in First Kings or in Second Kings chapter five, he's telling the king of Israel the secrets of the king of Assyria that he's been discussing is in his own chambers amongst his generals and his commanders to the point where the king of Assyria gets ticked off and says, "Which one of you is a traitor?" He says, "None, my lord." There is a prophet in Israel that keeps telling the secrets that you speak of. That wow. was by the word of knowledge. Without Elisha wasn't like spying. He wasn't like eavesdropping. He didn't have like this massive telephone string cup that had it in his chambers connected to his ear, you know, a hundred yards away. He, he, by the word of knowledge, was able, and like Isaiah said, there's a knowing. There's a knowing. Very rarely is it like a, like a voice, an audible voice. There's a knowing. This is exactly what they're planning and they're plotting. Well, look at what that gift did for Israel. It spared them from a national crisis. This gift is so useful because it can spare you from so much troubles. And then, secondly, you know, I say this all the time. You can try and do, do something in the flesh for over 35, 40 years and accomplish wow. virtually nothing. Yep. But by the Spirit, in five minutes, you can accomplish more than what you endeavor to do in the flesh for a lifetime. The Spirit, by the word of knowledge, I, I was in a service once, and this lady, I preached on salvation, gave an altar call, and I knew there was a knowing. This one's not saved. Didn't know her from Adam. She was on my left side of my auditor on the auditorium. I called her out and I said, lift your hands up, young lady. As I got near her, I had no, sometimes I just see like a highlight on people, certain mm. people. God like highlights them. They, they just, I can't escape their attention. They don't escape my attention. So I, I, I called her out as I'm like five feet from her. All of a sudden, like her life got downloaded into my spirit. I had, there was a knowing. You struggle with OCD. There's, you can't tell someone you struggle with OCD. It's not like you're, you, she has an IV uh, thing connected to her or she's walking around in a, wow. like, or she has a wheelchair. There's nothing outward that you can see on someone who, ca who has OCD. It, it's all inside. It's all on the inside. And so I walk up. You have OCD. You, you, you do this, this, and this every single day. 
you're taking this medication. And that, she starts, never been to church, weeping under the power of God. And then you think it was hard for me to say after, do you want to accept Jesus now? Uh, immediately, remember, we opened up by saying, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, I didn't come in superiority of speech. I didn't come in persuasive speech or man's wisdom. I didn't try to articulate some, some nice fine sermon and address. I wasn't the prince of preachers. But something I did have convinced you that what I was speaking was true. And that was the demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. And when I did that by the Spirit, it was easy after. That lady stayed in the faith. That lady not only got healed that night because it generated faith if god you know if god's revealing that she has ocd it's not so we're playing magic parlor tricks it's it's to release a healing in her body she got healed saved and, and filled with the spirit all in one night if that hadn't happened she would have left the same she would have left so the same good. so this is an amazing gift yeah word of knowledge is amazing even in doing deliverance oftentimes i don't usually will even ask the demon what is your name what is this because the holy spirit will give me a word of knowledge and say this is the demonic spirit there cast it out and so i could just cast it out by name because the word of knowledge so you guys got to realize the word of knowledge is a supernatural thing you need to lean into it trust god paul said if you reveal the secrets of of sinners heart in the meeting they'll know god's among you and follow their knees in repentance right. so for those you're like we shouldn't call things or say things understand what tj just said is absolutely biblical and Paul said this is one way that the word of knowledge works when you get supernatural information that only God can know. Um, number three that we're going to talk about in this category is discerning of spirits, okay? Now, I have two videos that are over an hour on this exact topic, so I won't go long on this, but basically discerning of spirits is to help you detect the true spirit behind the acts and manifestations taking place. Right. So the four spirits you can detect or see what's happening with is demonic spirit, angelic spirit, holy spirit, and human spirit. But biblically, those are the four spirits that we can recognize and we can distinguish. Now, the discerning or distinguishing of spirits is not discerning if a girl walks in with like short shorts and you say, oh, that's a Jezebel. That's natural discernment. Okay, that's obvious. We're talking about supernatural discernment. So discerning something in the supernatural realm. When it, when you talk about spiritual sight, spiritual smell, spiritual ear, hearing, which is all in the Bible, all these things are the discerning of spirits. So there's no gift of seeing in the spirit. There's no gift of hearing in the spirit. It's all discernment. It's all discerning in the spirit. And that's your five spiritual senses. Again, I have a, I've, we have long videos on this. We won't go into long, long details detail here but this is all discerning of spirit um acts chapter 2 they discern the holy spirit as tongues of fire the bible says tongues as a fire what were they doing they were discerning that's how the holy spirit was showing up and that's how he manifested as pastors or leaders tj you know this when we're traveling we're called to discern things so if we're in a gathering and we say okay we're discerning the Holy Spirit's doing this. We need to move with the Holy Spirit. We need to move. If he's healing people, we need to start praying for healing. If he's doing deliverance, we need to start. So we're discerning not just demons and angels, but we're called to discern what is the Holy Spirit doing so that we can move with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've had times where the power of God's moving and the altar calls going, people are repenting, and the pastor will get up and say something completely off topic and ruin the entire thing and qu quench the Spirit, and then it's like the Holy Ghost is just quenched, right? That's because he wasn't discerning what God was doing. So I don't want to just focus on discerning angels or demons or human spirits. I want to also focus on discerning what is the Holy Spirit doing. Acts 5.3. 
They discern Ananias was being deceptive and lying. So he was able to discern that. Acts 16, Paul discerned that there was a demonic spirit. Remember the girl was saying, these are men of God. And everyone's like, oh, how cute. She's talking that they're men of God. And Paul discerned it was a demonic spirit giving her the information, a a spirit of uh, divination. It was a demonic spirit of divination giving her information. So Paul was able to discern that. Um, In Acts chapter 8, Peter discerned the motives of Simon the sorcerer. And Matthew 9, Jesus discerned that the man with a mute spirit was demonized. Everyone's like, oh, he's just mute. And Jesus is like, no, it's a demon. So Jesus distinguished that the man had a demon. So this will help you guys when you're also praying for the sick. Now, not every sickness is demonic, but not every um, sickness is natural. So when we're praying for the sick, what I use is the gift of discernment. I say, Lord, help me distinguish. Is this a demonic spirit of infirmity like in Luke chapter 13? Or is this a sickness where I just need to pray healing? So not every sick person needs deliverance and not every demonized person needs healing. But we need to help ask God to help us discern what spirit it is. You might meet somebody and all of a sudden you can discern there's some, there's a there's a bad spirit about them, right? There's a there's something they're not right. Like I've met ministers and I could discern there's a spirit of lust or a spirit of envy or a spirit of pride and then a month later it's national news that they fell to, to lust. It's like, okay, when I met them, I actually discerned that spirit was there. So I didn't want to do partnership or business with them or ministry with them because I discerned there was a wrong spirit. So use that also in ministry, guys, to discern what's what. Don't walk around calling everyone a Jezebel and everyone a spirit of Ahab and everyone has a Leviathan. That's not what it's for, but it's to help us distinguish what spirit is functioning and what people are motivated by. That's right. This is This is an amazing gift because by it, you can actually cleanse the pulpits of America mm, come on. and Canada, and you can cleanse the pews, and it really brings a fear of God on people. Um, I'm reminded of a story Lester Summerall said. He was in a prayer meeting once in St. Louis, Missouri, and as they're in this prayer meeting, this lady comes in from the back, grabs the mic from the front of the auditorium, and starts to say, I'm an evangelist from such and such a city. I'm here. The Lord told me. The Lord has spoken to me to begin tonight having uh, revival meetings through the week for the next two weeks. And if you don't, if you don't um, have me do this or whatever, that God would bring judgment on your church. Listen, someone sitting in the back of the church. He's a young guy at this point. An old like prayer lady, like an intercessory prayer lady. She gets up. And by this discerning of spirit, she was able to discern the spirit that was in operation behind this girl that had taken the mic and Mm. says, you're a harlot from uh, St. Louis, Missouri. You're living in this town with a man that's not your husband. And tonight you spoke to him and said, I, I, you know, I can go on and do my harlotry or whatever and make money, but I found a better way to make money. Let me go and pose as a preacher. And I'll take up offerings every single night. And I can tell you, we'll make two two times to three times more money than had I just gone and done my regular job. Just trust me with this. Told her pimp that. Wow. And this lady gets up and says, you're a harlot who did that, who had this conversation before coming and discerned that there was a, a, a wrong spirit behind her as she was speaking. She can feel, you know, that when you feel a check in your spirit, Come on. that's oftentimes a discernment yep. of spirit. It's, it's very hard to really describe it. But the best way to say it is there's a check in your spirit. There's a peace that leaves you when someone's speaking. Uh, or a peace that comes on you when someone's speaking, depending on what spirit they're speaking by. Well, the peace left that lady. She got up and said that and said, if you don't leave town tonight, judgment will come on you and you'll die. She literally ran out. She ran out of the church 
and and never came back another night. You wow. see what that did? It it actually protected that church from hearing from an unclean spirit that was in that lady and protected from from the people being uh, taken advantage of in their offerings and just giving money to who knows who just to do feed her habit or whatever. Um, I love what Howard Carter, how he described this gift, and you pretty much touched on, on, on everything, so I'm just going to read this and I'll pass it over to you. But Howard Carter's definition of the gifts of the Spirit, he says, The discerning of spirits is a gift of the Holy Ghost by which the possessor is enabled to see into the spirit world. By this insight, he then discerns the similitude of God, the risen Christ, the Holy Ghost, angels, Satan, or his legions of demons. So by the spirits, like we have telescopes that can look into space. We have microscopes that can look into uh, molecular uh, substances and all that. But then this is almost like a scope that the Lord gives you to see into the spirit realm. Where God, mm. he lifts up the veil, giving you access to see exactly what spirit is behind that person. What spirit, what, you know, what, what's controlling that person to say those things what what influence what is influence that individual and so it really it's a gift that helps you in protecting yourself and your children because your children are going to bring home from some friends one day and you know if you have, if you're in tune with god you'll be able to feel a check in your spirit no you're not going to hang out with that person because you start i mean i can i can tell you horror story after horror story of kids that brought home bad friends poor influences and then they went off off the tracks, some of them ended up dying before their time because they were in the wrong crowd. As a Holy Ghost parent, that's these gifts as a parent are so crucial to raising up your children in the admonition and fear of the Lord. Because you can buy this. No, that person actually is going to get you into this, that, and that. Your kid wow. listens to you. A couple of years later, they see that kid, you know, go off the maps or do something in jail, whatever. Then you're you're going to see the fear of God going to hit your kid real quick. And so it's going to help your family. So good. So we're going to move into um, the next category, which is communication. And I'll toss over this one first to you. TJ is kinds of tongues. So the first one, the the three gifts in communication are kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. But the first one we're going to go over is kinds of tongues or speaking in tongues. So the gift of tongues or different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Um, well, we'll deal with the tongues first. That There's two ways you can look at it. So there's the gift of tongues that has to do with a corporate setting. And in Good. Paul's letters in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, he's talking about tongues in in relation to the church. In a like church meeting when someone comes out and bursts out in tongues. Um, and he says we shouldn't all just be speaking in tongues at once. He's talking about in a church meeting where he says in 1 Corinthians 14, Brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you by revelation, knowledge, or by prophesying, or by teaching? He's saying if I got up on the pulpit, grabbed the mic, imagine I did yep. this this Sunday at your church, and I just started to speak in tongues for 45 minutes and then said amen. That's not going to help anybody. Nobody's mm. going to be edified. Because tongues has two purposes. Number one is the gift of tongues that you receive at the baptism in the Holy Ghost, where you receive a prayer language for private communication and personal consecration and devotion to God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, yep. he edifies himself. So when you're speaking in tongues in your private prayer life, in your when you're praying to God, you're actually charging yourself up because you're, you're speaking mysteries in your spirit to God. Your mind is unfruitful, but in your spirit, you're actually building yourself up on your most holy faith. 
Jude verse 20. But you, beloved, praying always in the Holy Ghost, build yourself up in your most holy faith. That word build in the Greek is like what we would say charging a battery today. As you're praying in the Holy Ghost, privately, personally, you know, in, in your own prayer time, you're charging your faith up. You're building yourself up. You're creating spiritual stamina for you to keep on running. Isaiah 28 says, this is the refreshing by which I will refresh my people with an unknown tongue and stammering lips. So God prophesies in the Old Testament that there's going to be two gifts or one specifically that comes in the New Testament that is going to be used to refresh the individual that operates in that gift. So the gift of tongues has a private purpose, but then there is a public purpose, and that's when it's mixed with interpretation. So Paul says you shouldn't go to a church service and just blurt out tongues for half an hour and then sit down and expect people to be blessed. The Bible says, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your at your speech? You'll be speaking over the air. Unless you speak words easy to understand, how will they know what you're speaking? And he even compares it to the trumpet. He says, unless a trumpet plays a distinct sound who's going to prepare for battle so if you just come out and you start speaking in the tongues of men or angels people are going to look at you like you're nuts like what's going on that's not helping anybody but you however if in a public setting there is a tongues a message in tongues that's given coupled with a mess uh, an interpretation of that tongue it actually equals prophecy mm. i'm going to tell you why tongues plus interpretation of tongues and, and um I'm getting ahead of myself, but prophecy, ahead, the purpose of he- prophecy is edification, exhortation, and comfort. We read that in, we, you can read that in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but who prophesies, he actually edifies the church. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 14 says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. For say all those people again. that say, say tongues that is not for the new, ch- you know, that uh, you shouldn't speak in people, tongues in church or whatever. Special. Yeah, exactly. Paul, Paul literally said, that we are to, you should all speak in tongues. He even says, don't forbid speaking in tongues at the end of this, at the end of this broad, uh, at the end of this broadcast, at the end of the chapter. But even more, so verse five, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So the same edification that comes on as a result of a prophecy coming forth, can actually be accomplished through tongues and interpretation. And that's, in in a very brief manner, the the distinction between the tongues for private use and then tongues for a public context. I'm so glad you said that because most people don't realize that and they just say, oh, we shouldn't speak in tongues on the mic or in public when Paul was specifically saying, don't preach a sermon in tongues. And to further just validate your point about the different tongues, if you look at 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about kinds of tongues and then you look at 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2, it says, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. So now this is a different tongue because Paul said one tongue, you're speaking and preaching in tongues and then someone should be there to interpret which they weren't that's why paul was rebuking them now in chapter 14 paul says this is another kind of tongue and this tongue you don't speak to men because the other tongue remember you're speaking to men and then they're interpreting it's going to men this tongue speaks to god and no one understands him this tongue has no interpretation however in the spirit he speaks mysteries and this is what we call praying in tongues right where you're praying mysteries to god it's you and god so these are the confusions people have is that they think there's only one type of speaking in tongues when there's not there's that prayer language that you talked about so well that i call it spiritual working out and then there's that preaching in tongues with the interpretation or just speaking it out and someone interprets it so just notice and then some say well we shouldn't speak in tongues paul never said don't speak in tongues 
said, if you do publicly, make sure there's an interpreter. Now, let me say this, TJ. If you're in a prayer meeting, because I see guys on TikTok always making fun of these prayer meetings, and then I know guys on YouTube make fun of this too. If you're in a prayer meeting and your pastor's on stage praying and everybody's in the building praying, it is okay for him to pray in tongues because he's not preaching a message. You're in a prayer meeting. So in that setting, it would be okay. Now, if you have an hour-long sermon in tongues and that's all you have on Sunday morning and no one interprets, that's what Paul's rebuking. So please, guys, get off of all these pages where people are mocking the Holy Spirit because that's what you're doing. When you're speaking against tongues, you're not speaking against man. You're praying. You're speaking against the Holy Spirit. Understand the different context that Paul is discussing. And the same way you tell us, charismatic and Pentecostals, don't take it out of context. Then stop taking what Paul said out of context because there's a lot of misconsumption or misconception there when it comes to speaking in tongues. Paul did not say don't speak in tongues. Paul did not say don't speak in public. He said if you do it from the mic on the stage as a message, make sure there's an interpreter. Otherwise, just stay quiet because no one understands what you're saying. But we do need speaking in tongues. Paul said, I wish all of you did. It's the, it's the will for every believer. Okay. Great, 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 TJ. Awesome. Um, the next one is interpretation of tongues. So this is the ability basically to interpret what the Holy Spirit is giving the person to say to the audience or the congregation. So again, this is not to interpret your prayer language. This is to interpret a message. Now I want to draw a line here and say, this is not the gift of translating tongues. This is the gift of interpreting tongues. And the difference is translation is word for word. Okay. So if you translate something, you have to do word for word, exactly how it was said. If you interpret something, you're giving the general message or meaning. So you don't have to write this down. You don't have to speak in King James when you're interpreting tongues. Okay. Now you're remember, cause you're not translating. So you don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. Um, you don't have to do that because we're not translating. We're interpreting. I've had interpreters. You've had interpreters. And there's times where I'm preaching and there's an interpreter and I'll say a very long sentence and they'll say three words. And I'm like, did you not? But they're like, you don't understand Isaiah. It's not word for word in our language. It, we're just giving the general idea of what you're saying. So when you're interpreting tongues, you don't have to be word for word because what you're doing is giving the general idea of what God is saying. So that's the interpretation of tongues. I've interpreted tongues several times. For me, I get butterflies in my stomach or I feel like God is nudging me or pressuring me. And I feel like, okay, now when I've interpreted tongues before, a message in tongues in a prayer meeting, guys, this is going to help change your life here. God does not give you the full message usually. So in other words, I didn't get the, you know, a three minute sermon. And then all of a sudden I got up and spoke it. God will give me. And usually this is how prophecy works for me as well. And I want to keep saying for me, because again, this is how it works for me. And I think it commonly works for many. God will give me what prophecy and interpreting tongues, one or two words. That's it. And God's like, speak those. And when I speak them, he gives me the next word. And when I speak it, he gives me the next word. And I talk fast, but God also talks fast. So he gives it to me fast as I speak. So when I interpret it, have interpreted tongues in the past, I get that butterfly. I speak out in the prayer meeting. If someone else speaks it and then they wait and then they, I speak out and I interpret the tongue. And then I give one word, God gives the next. I give one word, God gives the next. I give one word, God gives the next. That's how you interpret tongues. Again, it's not translation. It's interpretation. Um, can you pray? Now, here's a question I want to ask you guys. Can you pray to interpret a tongue? Is it biblical to pray, Lord, would you give me an interpretation? Absolutely. First Corinthians chapter 14, verses 12 through 13. Listen to what Paul says, okay? For all those Pharisees in the chat, I just blocked one of them. Just listen to what Paul says. Even so you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, so he's writing the church in Corinth, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. And then listen to what Paul says. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue... Pray that he may interpret. So Paul says, 
Here's what you should do. Speak in the tongue and then pray that you could interpret your tongue. So it's biblical to pray for an interpretation. Now, here's the next question that I would love to answer. How do I know if I have the right interpretation? Here's how you know. Because if you ask God for something good, he's not going to give you something bad. So if you genuinely pray and say, Lord, give me the interpretation, he's not going to give you a false interpretation. Well, how do you know that? Because Luke 11, 11 says, if you ask God for a fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. So God doesn't give bad things to good people that ask for good things. So the way you know if you have the right interpretation is you ask God for the right interpretation and you trust that the Lord is going to give you it. And then it brings glory to God. And I want to just say one more thing, TJ. With everything we're saying tonight, you because a lot of you are typing, well, how do I know if the word of knowledge is true? How do I know if the interpretation is right? How do I know if I'm speaking in tongues and it's true? It brings glory to Jesus. That's how you know. Is it furthering your walk? Is it furthering his kingdom? Is it bringing glory to him? If that's the case, then you're on the right track. Um, I don't know if you wanted to touch on that. I kind of, I think I, I covered that interpreting, well, but that's the... That's the interpretation of tongues. So the last gift for the communication side is the gift of, and then let me say, I'm sorry, let me say one last thing about interpreting tongues. Usually how this functions is if you're in a prayer meeting, someone speaks it out and then they interpret it. So everything goes quiet. This is usually how I've seen it work. Everyone's praying. Then someone just starts loudly speaking in tongues. The crowd just naturally quiets down. Then the person speaks and then they interpret. Okay. And this just happened recently in a meeting I was in. Um, I think, and I, I don't think, I know, um, let me rephrase this, I know that we we need to start doing this more in the body of Christ and behind the pulpit. So we need to have more pastors that will speak out in tongues and then interpret it because it's a very powerful thing and it's very underrated and it's underutilized in the church. So Lord, I pray that you'd release that over the body of Christ, that we would speak it and interpret it in Jesus name. Okay. Last one is prophecy and prophecy. We'll, we'll say it very basic is the ability to speak words given by the Holy spirit. That's literally prophecy, okay? So prophecy, I always say it this way, is speaking words from God. So when God gives me words, whether it's future, whether it's present, whether it's past, prophecy is me speaking the words that God has given me in a language known to man, okay? So speaking in tongues is an unknown language. And I love what you said, TJ. It's it's the same thing when you interpret a tongue and you prophesy. They both edify equally, as Paul said, because prophecy is basically like speaking in tongues or interpreting, but it's the language people understand. So it's just speaking words from God. And I guarantee most of you have prophesied before and didn't even know it. So just that could be encouraging someone. That could be, hey, I really feel like God is saying you're doing a good job. Keep going. Hey, I really feel like God is saying don't throw in the towel. I know you've been tired, but God is saying keep going. I mean, I've had... People say that's the most powerful word I've ever gotten. And all I said was keep going. I didn't know it was prophecy, but it was God speaking to me to speak to them. And it was a prophetic word. And anyone can do this. How do I know? First Corinthians 14, 31. For you all can prophesy one by one that you all may learn and be encouraged. So Paul tells us here, all of you can prophesy. Every single believer, whether you have that gift manifest or not, can actually speak words from God. And it's God's desire that everybody prophesies. In fact, First Thessalonians 5.19, Paul says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecy, but test everything that is said. So don't despise it. Don't tell people not to do it. Just test what's being said. But prophecy is definitely powerful. I don't know if you want to throw in something there and touch on that. Prophecy is a very yeah. powerful gift. I said it before that prophecy is very clearly outlined. The purpose of prophecy in First Corinthians 14, it says, he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, Good. and comfort. So prophecy will bring number one edification. What is that? It'll build somebody up. That's why I love this gift, especially as a preacher. And I know you do too, because when you're preaching, you know, you can preach out of here or you can preach 
from here. Mm. And when you're preaching by the Spirit and the Spirit is giving you, you know, utterance. Paul said it in Ephesians 6, I think Ephesians 6 and 19, that utterance may be given to me by God that I might boldly preach the gospel. When the Holy Ghost gives you this divine inspiration, this utterance to speak words by the Spirit, there is an edification that goes on. Many times it looks like this. I'll be preaching and I'll start saying, you're going to make it. He Come that on. began a good work in you, he's going to complete it. God's not done with you. God's not through with you. God's just getting started. The Lord's, you know, what eye has not seen, what ear has not mm. heard, what has never entered the heart of man, those things God has prepared for you. There's there's more for you than there is against you. God's on your side. If the Lord's your helper, what can man do to you? When you start speaking that by the inspiration of the Spirit, it, it changes a person. Somebody can come in weary down, feeling like giving up, throwing in the towel, ready to commit suicide. This gift will supernaturally lift them up. You know, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, he prophesied as he was commanded. And what did it do? It brought dead bones back to life again. This gift of prophecy can bring dead things back to life again. It can inspire faith. It can give you the strength to keep on keeping on so that you can lay hold onto that which Christ Jesus died for you to have. That I, I love this because it, you know the Bible says we're to fight the good fight of faith. And it, it's it's nice to say that you know we don't need anybody. We can keep ourselves encouraged. But there comes a point where you need encouragement. And the devil anoints people to do the opposite of prophecy, which is to discourage people. Wow. And I'm sure you know plenty of people like that. But then God anoints people to do to the, to encourage, to be anointed encouragers. You know, like Barnabas, his name was son of encouragement. He was like a, a Holy Ghost encourager everywhere he went. He was just lifting people up. When they had to give, he sold property, encouraged the church by doing that, by laying the proceeds at the apostles' feet. So this gift is going to first and foremost edify you. You can know that God's not speaking if you're being broken down. You can know God's not speaking if it's causing chaos in your mind. You can know God's not speaking if it's causing you to get depressed and downcast. David said, why so downcast? Oh, my soul. You know, some of you have to learn how to self-prophesy. Some of you have to learn to prophesy to your own self and say, why so downcast, oh, my soul? By faith. You know, the Bible says in Romans 12, prophesy in proportion to your faith. You can actually, like David did in the Old Testament, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He started, I'm sure he started to read Psalm 12, maybe that's when he read, wrote it. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is on my side. The war encamps against me. Though my enemies arise against me, they will stumble and they will fall. For the Lord keeps me in his pavilion. He guards me from the plots of men. I'm going to make it to the other side. Oh, I would have lost heart had I not believed that I'd see the goodness of the Lord while I'm yet in the land of the living. You start to speak like that, man, you can prophesy over your own life and you'll see you'll be supernaturally charged to, to not only tackle the day, to kick the devil's face in everywhere you see him. So number one, edification. Number two, exhortation. What's to exhort? means to like to lead, to guide, to speak a word of, of direction or correction. To Exhortation is wonderful. It can get you out of a lot of jams. And then uh, exhortation, edification, and comfort. Prophecy brings comfort. You know, someone just lost a loved one or whatever. A word, one word of prophecy, you know, like we've been saying all night. One, one word by the Holy Ghost could outdo 10,000 words of men. Like he said tonight, he, he told a, a lady, just told, what did you say again? Keep on going on or something? Yeah, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. But it was by Two the words. Spirit. Man. Two words, can... bro. Longest prophecy ever. 
Can you imagine that? Two words. And it changed the course of a woman's life. Life is much easier when you do it by the Spirit. So good. And I want to add this prophecy and uh, religious people are going to hate this. So I'm just going to warn you guys, if you're religious, just cover your ears and then come back on. Prophecy <laughs> is not always spontaneous. Okay. So a lot of times we wait around for the gifts to flow, but we don't understand we can activate these first Corinthians 1432, write this down. It says this, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take right. turns. So like we'll prophesy at the end of the broadcast or we'll prophesy people and people say, you can't prophesy on demand. Mm, let's go back to first, first Corinthians 1432. Mm. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. So yes, prophecy is a gift. One translation says the gift of prophecy is subject to the prophet. So when you're prophesying, speaking words from God, you can definitely activate it by faith like the other gifts. It's a very, very powerful gift. Okay. We're at the tail end here and then we're going to pray for you guys. I know it's getting late. We're about an hour and a half in. Um, we're very ambitious, TJ, for taking on nine gifts in one broadcast, but it's <laughs> what we do. The last category I want to call the power gifts. And this is going to be, and I'll toss the first one over to you. This is going to be the gift of faith the gift of healings, and the gift of miracles. Now, these all are very, very closely knitted together, so it won't take us long to go over all of them. But the first gift in this category, which would be what? The seventh gift we're going over tonight is the gift of faith. And bro, you have that gift. Talk about the gift of faith. What is this different than just having faith? So the gift of faith is not the same as saving faith. Mm. So there's generic faith. God's a faith God. People are created to believe. Everybody has faith in something. You have faith to sit in that chair. That's generic faith. People have faith to get on an airplane driven and piloted by someone they've never met that they haven't conducted a psycho, uh, a psycho or treat, uh, not psycho treatment, a, uh, a psychology test on them. You've never interviewed him yet. You're trusting wow. him with your very life when you got on that plane. That's generic faith. You get into a car believing you're going to make it to the other destination and your wheels aren't just going to fall off. That's generic faith. Then there's saving faith. Saving faith is Ephesians 2.8 says, by grace through faith, ye are saved. When you got saved, that was a gift of God that got put in your heart so that you can believe in the gospel. God opened up your eyes. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. That's what Jesus told Peter. But then, then there's the measure of faith that comes after you're saved. God deposits a measure of faith in every single Christian, every Christian. So don't ever say, I don't have faith. You have faith. You just have to learn how to use it. You can grow that faith. Every Christian has a measure of faith. Romans 12, 3. Uh, you, you have the ability and the responsibility, I'd add, to build that faith. But the gift of faith, the gift of special faith, I would add, is a supernatural endowment of the God level, God kind of faith that comes mm. on you suddenly and it infuses you with perfect faith. So you could be at a measure of faith that's not at perfect faith, but all of a sudden when this gift comes on you, it's like the faith of God overrides your own faith and you're operating at the highest level of faith. And this gift comes on people throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament at two specific times. Oftentimes it was in times of peril, immediate disaster, immediate wow, danger, that's such good. as in the days of Daniel, he was thrown into the lion's den. Now, the difference between the, the gift of faith and the working of miracles is that the gift of faith is passive, whereas the working of miracles, you have to do something. The gift of faith receives, whereas the working of miracles, you work the miracle. So like Samson had to work the miracle, he had to take up the jawbone of a donkey and supernaturally, 
It's a miraculous thing that he did. He defeated a thousand Philistines, but he had to do something. Whereas Daniel didn't have to, he didn't have to fight the lions. He didn't have to go to war with the lions. He actually slept that night and the Lord sent an angel. And when Darius the king cried out, Daniel, has your God whom you serve been able to save you? Daniel replied, my God whom I serve has sent his angel to shut the mouths of lions because I believed in my God. So that faith was supernatural and it was sudden. Daniel didn't have to work it up. It just came on him. Jesus had it while he was in the storm. He was asleep in the stern while there was a massive storm going on around him and the disciples were panicking, running helter and skelter, 